What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Before we jump into a super fun episode with Amy of 556 Training Lab, a few quick announcements. Uh, numero uno, new shirts are in the shop. They turned out great. I'm wearing one right now, and I couldn't be happier with the print quality, and uh, maybe I'm also a little proud of the design uh, efforts that both my wife and I have put in. Uh, check them out at vanguardstories.com, and uh, tag me on the Instagram. I would love to uh, see what you all are up to and engage a little bit more. Uh, numero dos, ratings and reviews. Gosh dang, I appreciate all of you. If you haven't yet, please take just a quick second to rate the show. It helps push the project in front of a greater audience, gets to know some more people, and hopefully brings um, some good insight to folks that may or may not want to hear it. Uh, and finally, today's episode is brought to you by Eberly Stock. Uh, for several years now, uh, I've run a variety of bags from Eberly Stock uh, for range days and matches. Uh, to this day, I can't find a better bag than the Half Track. Its front opening design uh, allows you to get a hold of ammo much easier, tuck firearms safely inside, and still have saddlebags on the sides to carry tripods, magneto speeds, water, snacks, whatever the case may be. Be sure to give them a call. Let them know the Vanguard podcast sent you and get a wicked setup for your next trip to the range, match, or a training operation. Otherwise, I am done talking with announcements, so uh, let's kick it. Let's have a fun time with this episode. Thanks, everybody. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you tuning in for the first time, uh, my name is Austin Jardine, and I'm running through my, my cheesy intro, and I was telling Amy that I, I should record this, but I just, I don't. And so if you're joining for the first time, uh, this podcast uh, focuses on just telling people stories. We get to know them a little bit better, hopefully to tap into maybe their skills, uh, their story to understand maybe how they got into their profession, what it is that they're working on, maybe some of their passions a little bit more to give you hopefully a couple tools to tackle life with. And so with that being out of the way, I've got uh, Amy Abbott on the phone with me. We got connected just a couple of weeks ago. We've been working on getting a time set up. So I'm super excited to chat. It's uh, late for me on a Tuesday. You too. Happy Tuesday. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me, Austin. I'm really excited to talk to you. I don't do a lot of podcasts, but uh, just what little I've seen of your page and some of the recommendations uh, from people to, to look at your page and listen to some of your episodes. I'm actually super excited to do this. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I'm excited. This is, we were kind of talking a little bit and it's, it's really just meant to be super low key, get to know you a little bit more and uh, see uh, if we can't maybe share some of the lessons learned you've kind of experienced and, and getting some folks excited about either a career path, or I know that you were mentioning people ask often about how to grow a page and all of these things. So maybe if we could just start, um, do you mind just introducing yourself a little bit and then I'll maybe inter interrupt a little bit along the way and, and we'll just chit chat for an hour or so. Sure, absolutely. So my name is Amy Abbott. Uh, my day job is in law enforcement. I've been a parole officer up here for the state of Alaska for 17 years. And being a parole officer led me into owning a business on the side, which is a firearms training business called 556 Training Lab. So I get to do a little bit of my passion, which is firearms training in my government job, as well as privately now, I've done a lot of civilian training for the last three or four years. 
Um, in addition to that and kind of how we got connected, I do a lot of social media and online content to try to help people with firearms training, get interested in gun ownership, and really uh, push the standards higher. And that's not just for law enforcement officers, but for civilians as well. So I'm just looking forward to talking to somebody who's also a gun nut. Uh, I understand that you've done a lot of long range and precision shooting, which I'm the complete opposite. That's one of shooting I have not gotten into simply because I don't think I can afford it with a nasty three gun hobby that I have. I don't think I'm going to be going there. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a rabbit hole. I, I, I get made fun of every now and then because I think, I don't know if it's still true, but at one point my rifle cost more uh, than my, my wife's ring. So <laughs> I, uh, so my number one cost hands down is ammunition and, uh, people ask me all the time. Uh, they ask me if I make money off of Instagram. So uh, if anybody wants to check out my page, it's uh, called Amy five, five, six, Amy dot five, five, six. And, uh, I say, no, I've never made money off of Instagram. I think I go about $10,000 in the hole every year in ammunition costs to make Instagram videos, but uh, so I, the whole the whole way I got started as sort of a nationally recognized trainer is through social media. So I'd been a firearms instructor for our department since 2007, and I loved it. I loved teaching. I loved watching people get better. I loved empowering people. Uh, Alaska is one of the most violent cities in the U.S. per capita. So um, we have we're ranked 15th. Uh, Anchorage, Alaska is ranked 15th amongst U.S. cities for violent crimes. So that's number of violent crimes per 100,000 people. It's dark here a lot of the year. It's freezing cold. So people are stuck inside with each other. So we have tons of domestic violence, sexual assault, got stranger on stranger assault um, in the streets. And in 2019, the attorney general declared a public safety emergency in rural Alaska because of the unique law enforcement challenges out there. So this is a place where the weak can definitely be taken advantage of by people who are predators and violent criminals. And so being a female in law enforcement, that's 5'2", about 120 pounds. I'm a very small person. I'm like the average seventh grade boy or girl. I realized that if I wanted to stand a chance against very violent people who are much bigger than me, I needed to have some good training and I definitely needed to take advantage of the universal equalizer, which is firearms. And the more I, the, the more my career unfolded and I watched uh, people, innocent people, young people, uh, women become victimized, I just realized everybody that can have firearms training or is even remotely interested in it needs to seek it. And so I wanted to be a person that didn't make it intimidating. There's so much online nowadays, you look at um, the tactical community and I absolutely love it and it doesn't intimidate me. But if you get kind of the average person, like you think of your mom or your grandma or your sister who doesn't know anything about guns and they look at a video of a guy with night vision and you know, a tricked out AR and full kit like that, they can't identify with that. But if I make a video in, you know, just civilian clothes, slick as law enforcement would call it, no ballistic vest or anything like that, 
and I'm running an AR-15 and making it look cool, that's very attractive to people. And that's what I want to do. I want people to look at my social media content and be like, wow, she's really fast. She really manipulates firearms with a lot of skills. She looks really cool. I want to look really cool. And I could be cool like her because she just looks like, you know, like an average little person. So um, hopefully that kind of gives you some insight into how I got started and why I do what I do. Yeah, no joke. That's a lot. I feel like a lot of really good and, and interesting things. So if we could maybe start maybe a little bit further back. So when you started working in law enforcement, did you, I guess, are you from Alaska or, or what led you to, to work in Alaska? Yeah. So born and raised and uh, I went to Arizona for school and I wanted to get a chemistry degree. So I was halfway through that and then one of my teachers said something at the end of my sophomore year of college. He said, if you hate being in the chemistry lab, now is the time to change majors because this is what you're going to be doing all the time. And I thought, well, I really love people. And the reason I wanted to get into chemistry was forensic uh, chemistry. That's kind of what everybody wanted to do back then, right? You either wanted to be a marine biologist or a, the person that's in CSI. So I realized quickly that I'm a people person and I, and I, really wanted to deal uh, with criminals and be in criminal justice. So I changed my major, but then once I got that, it was kind of like, well, you can be a cop or you can be in corrections. You know, it was kind of the two tracks. And I told you before, I'm a pretty tiny person. So the, the thought of being a police officer intimidated me back then, still does. Like hats off to anybody that's a police officer. That is an ass kicking, absolutely up here, that's a brutal job being in the weather. It is anywhere uh, in the country, but particularly in Alaska, these guys are out in sub-zero temps for hours on traffic accidents sometimes and homicides. And that's just uh, not for me. So I uh, decided at 22 that I was going to become a parole officer when we moved back to Alaska. And at the time, I kind of thought the stereotypical parole officer was like a retired guy from the army, like maybe 55, 60 years old, slightly overweight, super burnout. So I thought, man, this isn't who I am at all, but maybe I can bring some charisma and something a little bit different, you know? And um, back then I wasn't really thinking of it as, for the social work aspect. Like it really is about changing people's lives and helping them become more pro-social. But back then I was like, man, if somebody just got out of jail and they're on parole for messing with a kid or, you know, beating somebody up, like I want to be the person to make sure they're not drinking or using drugs or creating more victims. So I was very much like a law enforcement mentality back then. Okay. Um, that's evolved over the years, but yeah. So I, when I moved back to Alaska, that was one of the jobs available and believe it or not, I never left. So 17 years with the same department and I still love it as much as I did when I was 22. That's awesome. So I'm not super familiar with a, uh, with what a parole officer does, you know, maybe kind of the minutia of it. Do you mind explaining sure. a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically you have a caseload of adult felony offenders that can be between, you know, 55 and hundred people that you work with. Those people of course are going to be on a spectrum of risk level, uh, low risk being maybe somebody that's had a couple of DUIs, a couple of minor thefts, high risk being someone that has a high frequency of crimes. They're getting in trouble all the time. They have a really high base rate of victims, uh, violent criminals, sociopaths, things like that. Uh, and then, of course, there's specialized caseloads. There's parole officers that work specifically with mentally ill offenders. There's parole officers that work with sex offenders. And we've got a large population of sex offenders in Alaska. And I feel like parole officers 
are so necessary to the safety of the community. We're kind of behind the scenes. So we're not out there um, on the front lines like the police, but uh, rather we are working with individuals to try to get them back on track because we can't watch them forever. So it's our hope that under our supervision, we can uh, get them into treatment so they're not drinking anymore and creating victims. We can connect them with mental health treatment. And if they just refuse all of our attempts to correct their behavior, uh, then sometimes the only answer is to send them back to jail. So as you can imagine, 17 years of, uh, in 17 years, I've helped a lot of people get back on track. And I've probably made a lot of people mad taking them back for long um, sentences. One of the most dangerous uh, aspects of our job is that we do unannounced home visits. And some of these home visits in rural Alaska can be pretty wild. So we could drive five hours up the road and there might not be trooper backup for three or four hours. So we're going way out in the middle of nowhere to knock on some dude's door that lives in the backwoods for a reason. And if we happen to catch him on the wrong day when he's drinking or using meth or maybe has a victim or something in the house, he's got a choice. Am I gonna uh, fight these guys or am I gonna you know, go back to jail? And so that's, that's always been the most dangerous element of our job is we're dealing with 100% felons, convicted felons, and we're surprising them in places where there's no backup. So you really have to be um, pretty on the ball with your training and expect that if things go south, you might be fighting on your own for quite a while until backup can arrive. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got, I've got a couple of questions maybe stemming from that and I'm trying to think of how I'm, I'm trying to ask it. So being, you know, a small woman working with some of these potentially violent criminals, right. Um, how do you, how did you get to the point that you felt comfortable performing your job? Right. So I'm asking if there's, you know, a, a small individual, another woman, maybe just a small male, right. That is thinking about it. Right. How did you get to the point where you're like, Hey, I feel comfortable enough with my skill set to go perform my job. So it takes years of on the job training and experience criminals, especially sociopaths are very good at what they do. They're charming uh, they're very disarming. And so it takes uh, a new parole officer, a new pro- police officer, sometimes uh, several years to realize uh, that people can be lying to your face, but they can be uh, very believable. So you get street smart pretty fast and you start to learn kind of all the tricks and manipulations uh, of criminals. So uh, training and learning to be confident was the second part of your question. When you're a small person or you're an officer that's alone, uh, like a patrol officer pulling people over at night, your one advantage is staying ahead of the game, playing the what if game. What if this guy gets out of the car before I come up to the window? Uh, What if uh, I show up to this house and there's 20 people and my guy's doing something wrong? Am I going to confront him and try to pull him out? Uh, with all of his friends, or am I just going to wave at him and come back later with more friends? You always kind of have to stay ahead. Uh, You watch for signs that things might be going wrong. Uh, Target glances for weapons, maybe they've stashed in the couch. Uh, Nervousness, if they're watching your partner searching around. Uh, And then from there, uh, as far as use of force goes, if you think that somebody is going to uh, resist, you need to stay ahead of them with a little bit of aggression. Now, verbal skills will take you a long way, but uh, many studies of violent encounters with uh, criminals that have feloniously assaulted or murdered officers, 
will reveal that the criminals noticed that the police officer was hesitant to use aggression. And that doesn't mean that officers need to go out there and be aggressive, but it does mean that they need to set the tone of what's expected of the subject they're trying to control. And sometimes they need to do that with a little bit more authority in their voice than they think they need to. And that's something as a young officer, you're kind of a uh, timid and you'll let people intimidate you, but you learn quickly through field training and watching uh, mentor officers that you have to act like you're the one in charge. You do it respectfully, of course, uh, with the utmost respect, but there's something about a very authoritative tone and voice in a presentation that will make a criminal decide, I don't think I'm going to mess with this person because they seem to be very squared away. Okay. Yeah. Command presence. I've heard that used quite a bit, at least, you know, my wife and everything working on kind of developing command presence. And when you walk into a room, we call it her, we call it her bitch face, right? So when she walks in, you know, she's got to have the bitch face on. So that way people understand, you know, uh, I'm not messing with her. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So you've talked a lot about training. Um, did you grow up, you know, with firearms and, and kind of living in the gun world, I guess you could say? No, not at all. So the first gun I shot was my senior year of high school. And instead of going to prom, my prom date took me rabbit hunting and I shot, uh, well, I didn't end up using the 22, so we didn't see any rabbits, but I did shoot a 410 shotgun and I didn't like it. So I actually didn't touch a firearm again until the probation officer academy, the corrections academy, uh, when I was 22. And to start off, they put a stock Glock 22 in your hands, which is a 40 caliber Glock. It's a plastic gun chambered in 40. So it's a wild pony. It's the worst gun to put in a new shooter's hand. And after 40 hours of that and very safe, good instruction, but I would say mediocre instruction, I figured it out and I figured out after 40 hours of that, that I wanted to become an instructor so that I could be more helpful than the instructors that I had. <laughs> okay. So when you say more helpful, I mean, what, what led you to, I guess, man, I feel like I'm trying to ask a question. I'm having a hard time thinking when you wanted to become a better instructor, right? What was it that was going through your mind that you needed to improve on that you felt like you could bring to the table? So I was kind of a natural as far as uh, marksmanship goes. But being a really small person, I really lacked a lot of knowledge. I passed the class, but I, I still struggled to qualify on a consistent basis. And that's because I didn't have uh, knowledge on just the fundamentals, grip, sights, uh, trigger management, all of that stance. Um, it was just, I, I had a really poor foundation in that I knew to be scared of the gun because the, because I felt like our class in order to keep everybody safe was more about power and control than about successful outcomes. And in order to make sure you've got a line with 20 short, uh, muzzled pistols safe, the range master had to be really slow and methodical. So you weren't getting a lot of reps and I felt like the firearms instructors were very good at keeping us safe and giving us very generic advice. But now that I've been a firearms instructor for 15 years, I realized that a lot of those guys were probably in their first years of instruction in their defense. They probably weren't super interested in it outside of work, but you can tell a good instructor from a bad instructor because a good instructor will give you 
they will articulate very specific steps after each rep that you need to take in order to make the next rep better. And a, an inexperienced instructor or kind of a poor instructor will say things like, get out of your own head. You need to calm down. You need to relax. And that doesn't make anybody a better shooter. That's not specific. That's not meaningful. That's really just talking about emotions. So over the years, uh, I've really tried to develop myself into the kind of trainer that can build a shooter, build a good shooter in eight hours, the same kind of shooter that would take an agency uh, maybe 40 to 80 hours to build. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the building of a shooter. When you started building your skill set and your I guess, training style and methodology. How did you go about, um, I guess, putting together your style and skill set? So uh, Instagram was very influential in that. I'd been a trainer for about 10 years when I discovered Instagram. This was 2017, 2018 timeframe. Somebody sent me a video. And so I kind of started going down the rabbit hole of the shooting community. And I was both very inspired by what I saw and appalled by what I saw. I was very inspired by the people that were very fast with the draw, good uh, weapon handling. Um, Lucas Botkin comes to mind. A few top level competitive shooters come to mind. I was really in awe of what they did. On the flip side, I saw a lot of casual gun handling. I saw people making light of guns. And I saw instruction that was very subpar, not only how they were articulating it, but how they were showing it. And then it struck me that a lot of instructors probably don't have the gun sight uh, sort of deep safety foundation that I had as a government instructor. The other thing I had as a government instructor is methods of instruction classes. So I was very, very disciplined in uh, how you present to a class, how you demonstrate so everybody can see, how you project your voice, trying not to say um too many times. So I kind of realized looking at Instagram, like, holy cow, I have a long way to go as a shooter looking at these guys. But holy cow, I think I have something to offer as far as the quality of instructor that's out there goes. So I decided like, all right, that's it. I'm going all in. I'm taking my uh, strong background in teaching and safety and I'm going to become a better shooter. And so the way I did that was I signed up for competition. And so this is kind of where you'll probably get excited. I'm excited to know that you're a big competitive shooter. So I've only been competing for like four or five years now. And uh, I was, I picked that up really slowly. I kind of expected to go in there as a law enforcement officer and be like, yeah, I'm really good. But I realized right away, like, holy cow, I'm going to learn more from these civilians and competitive shooting in two weeks than I've ever learned from my law enforcement teachers. Yeah. So competition is 100% how I got to where I am today. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been, I haven't competed in like a year. It's, it's hard every four years, it gets difficult to find reloading components. So, sure. um, but yeah, I, it's funny because like Joe, the farmer, it, it seems like we'll just outshoot anybody because like they're out shooting squirrels in their farm every morning. So they're like, they're dialed in, like ready to go. Um, so a question, a question I have, and it's, it's kind of fun to ask, um, because I feel like it can be kind of sensitive. So feel free to shirk it as needed, but you know, I know that the gun community is pretty male dominated and also the law enforcement world. So as a female coming into it and, and trying to establish yourself as a trainer, somebody that is competent, capable, and able to teach, how did you go about doing that? Uh, so I just had to keep working on myself. Um, 
I, I think I posted something on my story the other day that said that uh, firearms instructors' greatest challenge isn't developing their students, but it's developing themselves. So I had to put my ego aside, realize you're not that good at reloads. You're not that good at shooting. You suck at competition. You have a really strong background. So you need to put in the freaking work if people are going to respect you. So I started seeking from trainers on Instagram, dry fire routines. I putting videos of yourself shooting online is super intimidating at first you get the crap beat out of you you get uh your draw slow that's a scoop draw you didn't react to the timer fast enough your support hand is sloppy that was the crappiest reload i've ever seen so you get beat up but you come out of that after a year or two sort of polished it's kind of like rock polishing like you get beat up and then you come out of that like whoa i really had to improve my skills because people are watching every little thing and critiquing it and every time I would get a video from a high level instructor that was like, hey, I didn't want to call you out on this, but when you do a speed load, make sure you keep, you know, the gun vertical and don't cant it in your hand before you drop the mag. And, you know, at first I would get kind of, I suppose, irritated by that. But then after a while, I'm like, dude, I'm getting really expensive instruction for free. Like they're <laughs> And I will completely embrace that. Uh, so anyway, I put in the work and I want to say after a year or two, I started seeing sort of a need for people to have a roadmap when they go to the range. They, people just sort of go to the range and plink around, but they didn't have any drills or standards. Uh, unless they were from the competitive shooting world, they didn't have any part times to measure their skills against other people. So I started creating these drills and putting them on Instagram. And then I would put part times like beginner, intermediate expert, and people started grabbing my drills and competing. And so it was really fun to see world champion shooters like Bob Vogel and Keith Garcia doing like my box drill 2.0 and setting world records. And uh, so from there, I created my website, 556traininglab.com. And that's a library of drills. So if okay. ever goes down again, like it did yesterday, you guys can go to my website, you can get tons of pistol, rifle, shotgun drill ideas, and then um, look at the part times. So how did I get respect uh, in a male dominated community? You know, <laughs> this is kind of funny. So I, a police trainer wrote to me and she said, Hey, Amy, I got my firearms instructor a couple, uh, in certificate a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I've been out there and I'm just not getting any respect from any of the officers or any of the guys, but I've earned this certificate. And I wrote back and I said, if you want to earn their respect, you have to outshoot them. And she didn't like that. I think she very much thought that once she got this piece of paper that said instructor, which any of us can get from the NRA in two days, by the way, that's why I always kind of cringe when I see firearms instructor on somebody's profile. <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference between being a certified instructor, whatever that means, and being a respected trainer. So that's what I had to do. I had to, I had to not outshoot every guy, but the guys had to sort of believe after a while, like, not only do I think she can maybe do it faster and better than me, but I think she can articulate ways that I can get better. So I had to have something to offer. Um, what was your other question? It was about male dominated. Uh, it was basically the same thing, right? So, so, uh, sir, or a respected, uh, instructor and then also the law enforcement, right? So being able to be respected in both, both arenas. So one thing I had, I realized right away is I'm not comparing myself to the other girls or other girl instructors. That's not even a thing. Uh, I'm comparing myself to other instructors, period. 
Um, I think there's a lot of things in the firearms industry that very much want to keep men and women separate. And you see that in guns, special guns that companies will make for women. Um, one of my favorite rifle companies, and I won't say the name, made a special women's line of ARs. And uh, they talked to me a little bit about it. And essentially what it was, was is a lighter AR, which that's great if you're carrying it around all day, but at the end of the day, a lighter AR sucks for recoil control. Um, they put a nasty muzzle brake or a comp on it, which is great if you're just shooting competition or shooting by yourself. Uh, comps and brakes and all that stuff, that's a terrible idea if you're in a class or if you're in law enforcement or you've got people next to you, um, that's all bad. What else did they do? Um, colors, uh, just things they thought would make it easier for women. But at the end of the day, what it, what it was was just a gimmick to make women think that they needed this special rifle. Um, same thing with handguns. I mean, we, we talk about it over and over in the law enforcement community, the gun counter guy that will try to sell a woman a small gun. Um, and so I tell girls, yeah, small guns are great to carry. Uh, little subcompact guns are fantastic. They suck to learn on. So don't bring them to my class. Bring a full-size gun. Well, aren't those going to be hard to shoot? No, it's going to be a lot easier to shoot because weight is your friend when it comes to recoil control. So um, I really try to uh, get rid of that separation. People ask me all the time, why don't you teach women's only classes? And my answer is if a female can't learn shoulder to shoulder with other males or other people, how does she ever expect to, uh, I think, be confident or confront what's likely going to be a male assailant or a male attacker? Like if you're that worried that there's a guy standing next to you, learning next to you, there, I, I don't have anything for you. I'm not going to teach. There's nothing you have to teach women special that you can't teach men. It's all the same fundamentals. I don't care how big you are, how small you are, how old you are, how young you are. If you're a boy or a girl, it doesn't matter. I'm going to teach you the same fundamentals of pistol and rifle shooting um, regardless. So I definitely don't separate them like that. I, so if it was up to me, there would be uh, sort of an erased line between men and women in the firearms community. I really think that we'll see that, but in a lot of ways, I still feel like we're, you know, back in the eighties, as far as this division goes. And, um, and I really, and it, I don't know why it irks me so much, but these women's only classes really, really kill me. Yeah, that's fair. So <clears throat> I guess maybe in a, in a perfect world, right. Being a part of it and kind of working through the training aspect and everything, how would you, I guess, maybe suggest or like to see that line become erased. I mean, as people start to take more classes and firearms become popular and getting into the hands of new shooters, whatever the case may be, right? How would you like to see that line become more and more blended? So there's got to be more female role models. And uh, the strongest one that I can think of right now is Lena Michalik. She is, uh, she scares the heck out of people in competition. She goes to, you know, nationals and wins in all kinds of events. Um, PCC down in Florida was the last I kind of tracked her. She just, her and Justine Williams killed the boys at that. Um, and it wasn't, that's the other thing, like top lady in the competitions or whatever. It's like, no, there's ladies that go and they shred the guys. Um, physically, uh, is that, fair, you know, for pistol rifle competitions. Um, I, I don't know, like some of the top levels with open guns, we see a lot of male dominated, um, shoot dominating shooters, but I think 
that the females are really coming in strong. And Lena Mitchell has kind of proven that it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. She weighs like, I want to say she weighs like 115 pounds. She's tiny and she freaking shreds. So I want to see more people like her. I want to see more women uh, just go have fun at the range without having to have a guy set everything up for them. Um, I want to see more female instructors that are serious about development and not just an instructor because that's interesting to people and that will get you likes and that will get you this and that. I want to see um, women have a really true love for firearms and they're definitely out there. Um, maybe we just don't see them because they don't have as big of a platform, but I'll tell you from my own department, there's probably a hundred or more firearms instructors and uh, there's only two women and we are the same two that have been around for you know almost 20 years. There's not been another. So for whatever reason, we're just not attracting female instructors in the law enforcement world. Um, so I hope, I hope that changes. I've seen it change just in my time. So I'll tell you that there's hope. Uh, when I started in 2004, there's no way that a male instructor would come to a female instructor for anything. Uh, fast forward to now, and I've got, um, I'm very lucky to have uh, high performing uh, police units in the state ask for my advice on shooting, not about entry or tactics or anything like that, but just pulling a trigger. Um, how can we set up drills better? How can we train better? And I'm really honored by that because in, back when I started, nobody would have asked me my opinion on anything. So that's definitely changing. Yeah, that's awesome. So what advice would you have for um, I guess maybe an aspiring, aspiring lady to be a role model in, in the industry. Sharpen your skills, have a true love for shooting. Don't just do it because you think it's going to get you attention or likes on social media. Those people wash out anyway. They don't stay interested in it. They build big pages quick and then they just kind of fizzle out and go away because they never loved guns in the first place. They see it as Joe Rogan said it, uh, girls see the firearms community as an easy place where you can get lots of attention and lots of likes and not really be that exceptional of a person. I feel like some of the other areas like fitness or makeup or fashion, you have so many people you're competing against and you just have to be like this perfect person. But in the firearms community, since there are less females, really all you have to do is put up, you know, a provocative picture or two and pretty soon, bam, you've got, you know, 30,000 followers just because you have a gun in your hand, you threw a gun into the mix. So I would like to see less sexualization, uh, more skill development by females, stronger female trainers, females that are truly interested in it and well-rounded. So beyond teaching, uh, armoring, building, um, doing stuff like this, talking to other people about guns and podcasts and having something um, to offer and to say, but uh, it's hard because there still are those gender lines, you know, like how many girls are super interested in working on guns on the weekends. There's some out there, but not a ton. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So uh, a question I have for you is uh, more on the, the development of um, drills. So, you know, I come from the long range shooting world, you know, and I haven't done it in a little while. I definitely, I'm looking forward to hunting season being over so that I can put my one good scope back on my, my <laughs> match rifle and actually, you know, go actually have fun. But, uh, you know, I, I've definitely downloaded drills and stuff from at least one or two other like long range, uh, instructors and everything. How did you go about developing, um, your drills and what are they geared towards? Um, I guess improving. So uh, 
a bunch of different stuff. So uh, pistol is probably the most common platform, but it's the hardest to master, right? So most of my drills are pistol drills. Uh, different drills work on uh, different fundamentals of shooting. Uh, so there's there are some that incorporate the draw, which of course is kind of uh, the building block of, of, that's where your grip is established. So you really have to work on the draw quite a lot. Um, but some of them will be close range drills. I try to set them up with multiple targets, but I also keep in mind that a lot of people are confined to indoor shooting ranges and single lanes. So I've, de I've developed targets where you can have multiple shooting areas and still do some of the drills that people with big outdoor ranges can do. Um, but like I, one of my probably more popular drills is called the attack drill. So you can do it with pistol or rifle. And basically you put a cone at 25 yards 10 yards and seven yards, you shoot a single shot from 25, sprint up to the 10 yard line, deliver two hits, sprint up to the seven yard line, deliver three hits. So uh, it's a five shot drill. And I've had like SWAT teams from Germany send me videos of them doing the attack drill. They love it because it's one target. It's not complicated to set up. There's movement. You got to stop, start, and there's entries and exits. And you have to uh, you, you take your time. So you have to be accurate. So if you get a hit in the Charlie that adds like half a second Delta, you add three seconds. So accuracy and speed both play into it, like with competitive shooting, but you can measure your progress against other people's progress. And, uh, people just love it. Firearms instructors are so burnt out, man. They have so much to do when they go to the range as far as loading up all the targets. And so they, it's, sometimes it's like, Oh no, it's time for a two hour range session. And I got all these guys looking at me for ideas and I just don't know what I'm going to do. So I've developed a bunch of one and two target drills uh, that are simple to set up, but you get really high training value from them. That's awesome. So when you develop these, I mean, did you kind of sit down? I mean, that, what was the thought process for putting them together? I mean, are you leveraging all of your past experience? You're sitting down, like trying to put together some sadistic, you know, drill <laughs> for people? No. So, um, Number one, I do probably 60% of my training or maybe 70 for the year in snow. So uh, a lot of my drills are pretty static, which is great for people in indoor ranges, simply because I might have a covered area that I can shoot in and my targets are my target stands are literally in four feet of snow in front of me. Yeah. So um, the movement drills in the winter are really limited to what the ground conditions are like. But yeah, basically what I what I went after is drills that aren't complicated to set up because when I'm out there and it's 10 below and I know I have an hour of training, I don't want my hands and my legs and everything to just be shot by the time I'm done setting up targets. So it has to be very simple on setup simply because I'm in cold weather most of the year, simple on setup, high training value. So, um, I try to, uh, I, I put standards, like something really simple, like a pair from the holster at 25 yards in less than two seconds. Okay. So that's something that, you know, a lot of really high level shooters, world-class shooters are like, yeah, I can do that. But somebody else might go, oh my gosh, I can't even get my gun out of the holster in two seconds. So that I'll have an intermediate standard and a beginning standard. And then I always put some explanation in there. You know, if you're a beginner and you get two hits on paper at 25 yards, in the A zone. I don't care how long it took you. That's freaking awesome. But there's, you know, I explained to everybody in my classes that there comes a point where once you got the fundamentals down, you have to start adding that speed element into it. Because if we're training for real life, uh, whether it's self-defense, uh, hunting competition, can you think of any time in those three areas where you have all the time in the world to make the shot? 
No. So, you know, I, I tell people I'm, I'm going to push you because beginner shooters, they really want to like, I just want to be slow and careful. And it's like, that's great, but I, I've got to get you, I got to get your hands moving. We got to get moving. And so it's fun to, to push them within the confines of safety and really watch them kind of take off in my beginner classes and my eight hour classes. Okay. Okay. When you say push them inside the confines of safety, do you mind talking about what that looks like, especially for, you know, a new shooter, right? Anything yeah. that is anything that is remotely fast seems unsafe for a new shooter. Absolutely. So one thing that I'll do is, uh, you know, after a couple of hours, we've, we've got finger straight down when you move finger straight when you're done shooting. And I know that's going to take uh, a lot, like hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of reps for them to kind of get down. So I'll do something like grip. All right. So we got your grip. Um, I always tell people with grip on a pistol, pretend like the, the handle of the, of the pistol is an upside down horseshoe that you're trying to break. So it's not about raw hand strength. It's more about torque and getting a lot of pressure in on the sides of the gun. I push people's backs to move forward almost into like a fighting or a sprinting stance. I tell them. So I'm like, all right, I want you to lean into it grip the hell out of it, do the upside down horseshoe grip. And I want you to run that F and trigger. Okay. And this is like grandmas and stuff and they just get all amped up. Okay. And I'll put the target like five yards away. And I pull the trigger as fast as you can, like five times. And so they'll go like one, two, three, four, five. And I'm like, all right, no, you need to just relax a little bit or you're going to get trigger finger freeze. Once again, get your stance, get really aggressive grip the hell out of it and just let it rip. Look at the front side. I want you to see the front side five times go and I'll put the timer on and they'll just one, two, three, four, five, you know, and it's like a couple of a couple Charlie's and they look at me. They're like, it's funny. They're like, is that okay? Is what I did. Okay. And I'm like, Fuck yeah, that's fine. They just like, they love it. But like, this is something like that where you're standing five yards away from a target, just right on somebody like right next to them, talking them through it. That's showing them that you can absolutely make good hits super, super fast and be safe. And there's nothing wrong with going fast. Uh, in all of my beginning pistol classes, I tell people, I know you're terrified of it right now. And you guys don't know, maybe some of you don't even know which end is the business end of the gun. But by the end of this eight hours, I promise you that I'm going to have you running or walking, you know, I'm not like, trying to make athletes out of people that can't walk very well, but I'll, I'll have you moving between positions with a gun in your hand, shooting targets. And they don't believe me. And then at the end of the day, I've got them, uh, you know, just maybe shooting into a target at seven yards. And I'm like, finger straight run to the next target. I'm right beside them. So if anything happens, um, they're good to go. Or if their finger, you know, doesn't go straight, I'm right there on them. So, um, I feel like with proper coaching and guidance, uh, and just being right there. So you're able to grab them if they turn around with a gun in their hand or just being right there to tell them exactly what to do in a calming way. I feel like people can really go to new heights, uh, before they're, before they're super developed and just kind of see what they're capable of. Yeah, that's awesome. So how, how would you suggest people? So if people can't maybe make it up to Alaska to train with you, how do you direct people to find good instruction? Uh, so that's hard and that's a loaded question. It is. It's really hard because the people with the best advertising are not necessarily the best instructors. The people with the biggest Instagram pages are not necessarily the best instructors. Some of the best instructors in the world aren't even on Instagram. So my advice is always this, go to practice score.com and find a local match. Even if you have to drive one or two hours, 
go to a match. I highly encourage you to sign up, but a lot of people have a ton of anxiety and they, they don't want to do that. But I, so I just tell them, go watch, go watch. And the people there are going to be so freaking happy to see a new face and so happy to have you as a fellow firearms enthusiast that they're going to talk to you. Those are the people that are probably the highest level shooters in your area. And those are the people that are going to be able to direct you to good trainers. I will 100% echo that. I always, it's always fun when people show up for their first time, because I remember, I I remember my first matches, right. And you show up and you're like, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do, but like you get people that'll walk you through everything. They'll share all their gear. They'll throw a gun in your hand. You know, like I remember there was one match that I went to and I was running like some old savage and the guy handed me a, a gun that probably cost more than my truck. And he was like, oh. yeah, run it. He's like, I'm we're, we're breaking it in right now. We're shipping it out tomorrow. So have fun with it. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. I, um, I stage planning has always been like my, my worst nightmare. And, you know, even now I'll go to a match and there's just like the two or three best guys. They're so nice. They'll kind of watch you drive walk through it and no matter who you are they're like hey did you think of starting over here and i couldn't help but notice that you didn't have your air gun mounted when you came into position you might want to have the gun up where are you going to do your reload like people are so helpful and uh they see the same old people all the time they want to see new folks yeah yeah definitely that's a good point right people want to help don't take that as uh, arrogance right i think that people just want to like get excited to help you that they yeah. just want to overshare yeah one, it's so funny. Like, I don't know when this memo got put out. It must've been after I started the Academy. So it must've been like in 2010, but that adults should ask other adults if they want advice before they give it. And so it's so funny. Like I'll go to these matches and guys will be like, do you care if I, if I give you a little bit of advice? And I'm like, Oh, that's so polite. But it, you know, it's just, it's funny. Like adults want to help other adults, but they don't want to insult them. Um, but yeah, I haven't found I found the competitive shooting community to be far less condescending than the law enforcement community. Uh, there's a lot of educated competitive shooters and uh, they, they want to grow the sport. It's not a spectator sport. So the only way we can grow it and grow gun ownership and competence is through word of mouth and, you know, neighbor to neighbor. Yep. I absolutely agree. Okay. Well, if people want to come train with you or find you, print your drills off, get after it, how, how can people reach out to you? So uh, definitely feel free to reach out to me on social media. Instagram is amy.556. My website, 556 training lab, short for laboratory, uh, com is where all my drills are. Uh, my bio, you should be able to find my email there. Um, I, I'm willing to travel. I just have to have enough people interested in a certain area for a class, which would be, you know, like eight to 10. So reach out to me if you have a group of shooters um, that's interested. Otherwise, if you're ever up in Alaska, our training season this year ran from March to we're still going October. Uh, we were running classes, like eight hour classes in single digit temps in March. So I don't think I'm going to start that early again this year, but um, usually we run from May to October. Uh, we're going to do some low light rifle in December. So that's the solstice is our shortest day of the year up here. And I think it gets dark at like three 30 or four. So we'll start the class at noon, get everybody sighted in and then do some low light um, weather dependent. Of course, I won't run classes in the winter if it's supposed to be uh, less than 
15 degrees that day. So we kind of watch it and like cancel at the last minute. If it looks, if it looks. <laughs> <It's> so cold. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, I am fresh out of questions. Is there anything that you maybe don't get asked a whole lot, feel it's worth sharing things that you've learned that, that you want to get out there? Oh my goodness. Um, just try to share. So I'm really big about, uh, growing the good guy army. Right. Um, so if you've got people in your life that have shown even just the littlest bit of interest in shooting or mentioned, like, I kind of want to get a pistol or I kind of want to get a, a, you know, a rifle or something like that help them, take them to the range and give them like a super positive, fun experience, blow up balloons, let them shoot balloons. Um, try to, try to help them be successful, try to help them like shooting, um, get as many people as you know, to, to buy rifles and AR. So at the end of every pistol class I have, my goal is to like, okay, I sold you a little bit of crack. Now I'm going to share some heroin with you. I'm going to make you shoot the AR. And, uh, like I try to really get, get people hooked on rifle and I've been very successful in doing that. So, um, yeah, that's just it. That if you, if you can pull anybody, any good people into the shooting world, uh, please do, because, uh, that that's, you know, my personal goal is just to be able to reach a ton of people, both in my personal life. And, you know, I've been blessed enough with the platform that I have um, through social media to reach so many others and inspire so many others. If you ever have a question about anything, uh, send them to me. I'm, I respond to everything that is appropriate. And, uh, if you want to send me a video of like your draw or your reload or anything like that, I'm, I'm happy to help you. Sometimes I think people think it's easier to ask a female for advice because they don't want guys to know that they don't know something. So I'm actually surprised at the number of, um, guys that reach out and, um, genuinely you know are looking for help and don't want to ask another dude so if you don't want to ask a dude ask a lady um and yeah that's it i just am uh i'm really grateful for this opportunity to talk to you amy once again thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down and chat with me i hope everybody took some good information away as far as how to get involved in training maybe growing their brand great growing their training skills getting involved in either law enforcement or the firearms industry but beyond that uh, i will link all of amy's contact information in the episode description including her website and uh yeah i hope you all have a great day and we'll catch you next time